but essentially it's about coming back to who we are. It's really understanding who I am as an individual, what I actually need, and coming back into balance with the rhythm of nature. So your current season, so no matter where you live, so whether you live in, you know, like us, New England or upstate New York, Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I talk with fascinating, talented, and inspiring guests who reflect on the adventures and challenges of aging and who are living their lives with vibrance and purpose. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist, writer, and fellow Zestful Ager. And if you like this podcast, you'll love my companion courses, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity, and The Wisdom of Mindful Eating. Now, for one month only, I'm putting both of my online courses on a radical sale. Both The Wisdom of Mindful Eating and Zestful Aging will be $19.99 each. Both of these courses have received rave reviews. They're fun, straightforward, and have the ability to change your life in the direction of more peace and less stress about eating and around aging. No extreme diets or punishing exercise. More about creating habits that feel good and are sustainable, which is health-promoting and leads to a longer, happier life. This offer will expire January 31st. Find out more at NicoleChristina.com. Well, I have my Jack Russell Terrier Sparky right beside me and my coffee in my hand. So let's begin. Erin Kasperson is the Dean of the Kripalu School of Ayurveda. She loves sharing how the ancient practices of Ayurveda can be applied to modern day living. She also teaches other outdoor programs at Kripalu and has had many years of hiking and backpacking experience in the in the woods of New England. And she has summited all 48 4,000 foot mountains in New Hampshire, which is truly impressive. Welcome to the show, Erin. Thanks, Nicole. I'm so happy to be here today. <laughs> yes. Um, so this has been my experience, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think people in our audience who are mostly women, mostly 45 and over, and I think fit the Kripalu demographic pretty well. They've heard of Ayurveda. They kind of interested, kind of curious, but maybe it seems a little esoteric to them. Can you can you give us an overview of what it's like and what it's all about? Sure. Yeah, I can can see that it's a uh, you start to read about Ayurveda and it's the instant Sanskrit words and terminology and <laughs> concepts that can seem um, daunting to some or uh, confusing. And so that's, yes, I was there too about a decade or so ago. And, um, you know, Ayurveda actually isn't esoteric. It has esoteric properties or practices in it, but it's very pragmatic. It's uh, very uh, friendly to um, anybody who wishes to study or practice Ayurveda. And it was 
uh, always designed for people to maintain health and wellness. And so um, Ayurveda is India's traditional system of medicine. It's said to be the oldest continuously practiced medicine uh, on earth. And so it's thousands of years old. And if you're interested in yoga, then there's oftentimes a natural inclination to wanting to study Ayurveda, even more and more so now. It's becoming uh, more popular. It's definitely emerging uh, into mainstream stream culture more than it has even since the last 10 years ago, since I first started studying. And traditionally, Nicole, it was always practiced side by side with Ayurveda. It was um, Ayurveda is this spiritual path. Um, and Ayurveda was there to take care of the body, uh, as well as the mind and the senses and soul so that you could continue down your, your yogic path. And, um, it doesn't, it, it, it include, like I said, it includes esoteric practices, which would be more like yoga, meditation, breathing, being mm -hmm. out in nature. Mm -hmm. But essentially it's about coming back to who we are. It's really understanding who I am as an individual what I actually need and coming back into balance with the rhythm of nature. So your current season, so no matter where you live, so whether you live in, you know, like us, New England or upstate New York, um, or if I live in Arizona or if I live in Antarctica, it has practices for, for anybody to stay in balance to their geography, um, time of life or time of day. Interesting. It, and now, uh, forgive me for my, you know, I'm a real beginner here, so I might ask questions. That no, I can't, that's perfect. I, I can't be, see no. you if you're rolling your eyes up, so that's fine. But like, I, I think never. about, <laughs> I think about some people's uh, local diets and macro diets. Is there an overlap here between eating local and macrobiotically? So uh, macrobiotically, I can't. Speak speak to too much and I don't just I don't know enough about it so I'm just gonna be like I'm not quite sure I would need to know a little bit more it, which I should learn about it but I just don't know a ton about it but locally absolutely seasonally absolutely so let's think about um, thousands of years ago so Ayurveda is a 5,000 year old plus system of medicine you only ate locally <laughs> like there wasn't there wasn't a plane flying my food across the, the planet or there weren't trucks logging my, you know, slogging my avocados to New England where we don't grow a single avocado. You know, we have this huge global food market right now, which is exciting because I do love avocados and um, it can be problematic. So we're eating foods that are out of season that are out of the region in which we live. And many of our imbalances stem from that not eating foods that are local. So for example, I live in Western Massachusetts. 200 years ago, I would never eat a salad in January. Like there's not a salad green available a couple of, that's just a couple hundred years ago. And I would be eating foods that were in season in the middle of the winter in New England. I'd be eating stored grains. I'd be eating, I'd probably be drinking milk. I'd be um, eating from the root cellar. So I would have all of those um, vegetables that overwinter, like the squashes and uh, pumpkins. And um, I would be eating canned, I would probably be canning something, you know, so that would be fine. 
And then in the spring, I would probably have a leaner diet. There wouldn't be much. We'd have gone through our root cellar and we'd start growing those spring vegetables and eating the peas and the ramps and foraging for uh, probably mushrooms and things like that. And then come summer, I would have a huge garden full of like, look at our, you go to the farmer's market this time of year. It is like loaded, right? Yeah. Do you go? It's, it's like, oh, there's beets yeah. and cucumbers and squash and tomatoes I have and potatoes. One in, I've got one in my backyard. Yeah, I have my backyard. It's just eating outside all That's the time. Right. And then in the fall, you would hunt and preserve that meat and eat that throughout the winter. And so we were always seasonal creatures. We were always seasonal animals. And nature, the natural environment, the living world gives us the foods to antidote the imbalances that come with each season. So we know that in the summertime, for instance, it's really, you know, we get heat, it's hot. All the foods are really easy to digest. They're simple, they're vine ripened. We can go outside and pick them off of our, pick a tomato off of our vine and, you know, eat it right there. We get tons of apples in the fall, which are cooling to the heating aspects of the summer. And so, you know, my feeling is we've disconnected from our natural local food so much. We don't even know what would be local. And that's, you know, contributing to uh, states of imbalance at, at minimum just in our digestion. And so uh, does this get connected then with a microbiome and what it needs? Yeah. So this is really definitely for sure. So uh, there's studies that are out there. Um, one of our teachers, John Duyard, talks about this, that like the microbiome in deer change. I'll get to humans. The changes from season to season. So deer in the winter eat bark. And then once the spring and summer comes, they eat things like berries and leaves and apples out of my backyard. But they would never eat bark in the summer because their microbiome won't support digesting the, digesting the, um, uh, digesting the bark. And humans, our microbiome changes as well with each season. So we have... So, but the way we describe it in Ayurveda is Ayurveda 5,000 years ago didn't talk about a microbiome mm -hmm. because that just wasn't the language to describe. How are they going to study a microbiome 5,000 right. years ago? Right. So the way that Ayurveda describes it is with this concept called Agni. And so Agni loosely translated means fire. And so what Ayurveda teaches us is that in the summertime, it's our digestive fire or our appetite or our ability to digest difficult foods dials down. So the reason is, is that in the summertime, it's hot. At least here it is. And this summer has been exceptionally hot, at least in the Berkshires. Mm -hmm. So when it's, and maybe this happens for you, Nicole, like when it's a 90 degrees out and 90% humidity, are you really that hungry? A lot of people aren't. They might be like, my appetite goes down. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just not as hungry. They, and we crave things like simple fruits or vegetables or salads. We're not turning on the stove. We're not cooking soups and stews and casseroles mm -hmm. in the summer mm -hmm. in New England. We're eating simpler foods. And so we would describe the microbiome as agni. So the agni turns down in the summer. Nature gives us really easy to digest foods. So if you're just eating out of your gardens, you're basically having a vegetarian diet in the summer. Mm -hmm. We're not eating 
a lot of we we wouldn't be eating meat this time of year even a couple hundred years ago because why would we we have a garden full of food mm -hmm. uh, we wouldn't necessarily be milking the cows and having a ton of milk maybe a little bit but the calves are still growing and they would be naturally still drinking out of the the mom so then we go through a lower digestive system lower digestive fire different microbiome in the summer that uh, invites us to eat really simple, vegetarian, lighter quality foods, foods mm. that aren't as heavy, aren't as hard to digest, like mm. meat, wheat, dairy, and sugar. Those are all difficult to digest. When we get to winter times, so when it starts to get cold, cold nights, colder days, the digestive fire turns up. Mm. And the reason is, is because it needs to keep us warmer. So this fire also keeps our body warm. But it also is responding to we would eat harder to digest foods in the winter. So the winter time is when we have, this would be the fall harvest. It was generally always wheat. We would harvest wheat only in the fall. It wasn't harvested all year round and eaten all year round. And wheat is a great, wheat's a probably four letter word in many circles, but yeah. wheat is building, it's grounding, it's warming, and it's meant to be eaten during the cold season. That's when it was always harvested. And what um, we know is that wheat may be fine. It's the Roundup that is not so good. <laughs> right. Or <laughs> eating it 24-7. Like, <laughs> okay. Or eating wheat all year round. We don't necessarily need it all year round. We need it, you know, because we don't need to have that really heavy to digest. In the spring, the wheat would be gone. We would have eaten it all winter. And so, and then the winter, we have harder to digest foods because we need to keep our body warmer. It's We need to... Um, uh, the winter harvest is more heavy. I mean, what do we do in New England? We like have soups, stews, mm -hmm. casseroles. This would be your hunting time of year. So if you, you know, for people who eat meat, it would be like if you're kind of in a, it's in the yoga world, it can be a conundrum as you start to mm -hmm. do yoga. Like, do I eat meat or not eat meat? Mm -hmm. And it's like in the winter time might be more supportive than, than the summer when it's real hot. Does that make sense? So, it, it so rather does, than a microbiome, it's ugni is the way that we talk about it. The ugni. Now, I, you know, I'm going to sound like, you know, I, I really have been immersed in this and I haven't. So I'm going to throw out the one word that I do know with, <laughs> and you can correct me if I'm pronouncing it wrong, but the doshas. Yeah, you got it. Okay. All right. I, you know, so I know a little bit about the doshas. Um, and that's a pretty important part of this puzzle. Am I right? right? Okay. Yeah. Can you talk about what a dosha is? Sure. <laughs> that, how much time do you have? <laughs> um, yeah, so the, the doshas are one of the, the main, one of one of the main concepts in Ayurveda. And so what, what I'd like you to understand about Ayurveda is that it's a way to describe reality. So like what I'm going to talk about doesn't change reality. It's just a new language to describe our perception of reality. And um, what Ayurveda gives us is this language of what's called the doshas. So what I want your listeners to understand, because what can happen is the common question once you start to get into the doshas is like, well, who am I? Mm -hmm. What are my doshas? Mm -hmm. You know, we love in America to like categorize everything. And so we're made up of all three of these doshas and they're called vata, pitta, and kapha. And we're made up of all three. We can't exist without them. They're, when they're in their balanced, um, organized state of being, they're acting just to keep your body functioning. They exist all over the body. They each have particular jobs that they do. Um, and for all of us, 
they all work in the same way to do these particular jobs. And then oftentimes what we talk about is somebody has a, um, their constitution is they have these three doshas come together to create the uniqueness of you. So we all have all three, but we might have varying amounts. That's why I might have blue eyes and you might have brown eyes, or I might be good at math. You might be good at music. Um, I might be organized. You might be uh, like to not be, or you know, not be organized or you have your own, you know, not typical organization. Some people are more creative. Some are more kind of factual. And so it, what the doshas do is come together to create us. And the, the invitation from Ayurveda is to discover, well, who I am, who am I in the, the midst of this framework, of this understanding of these three doshas. And so I'm just trying to put a little bit more s specific language on a dosha. So tell me if this sounds right. Is it sort of an essence or a, a system or what are the yeah. words uh, that might help us understand what is a dosha? Yeah, it's so difficult. So we were, I was just in, uh, I'm running a program this week and we were just talking about that. There's like a, a certain amount of Sanskrit words that don't have an exact one-to-one -one definition. Mm -hmm. So doshas are one of those, unfortunately, <laughs> because it's a concept more than if I said, this is a shoe, it's an object you put on your foot, it would be very clear. Mm -hmm. So a dosha um, let's talk about what it what it is, and I'll do my best in English to describe it because it's it's going to be conceptual more than one to one word. And so um, a dosha has would have. I'm going to give you two different meanings. So the old British term, because in India they speak British um, English versus American English, is it's a biological humor. So you might have heard like in Greek medicine, it's like bile, phlegm, wind, something like that. Mm -hmm. And so when the doshas are acting to keep you as an organized system, I, I think of them as organizing um, principles, organizing energies, biological humor, that's when you're feeling great. That's okay. when they're balanced, when they're working well. And so vata we think of as being sort of the one that initiates all the movement in the body. So it organizes everything that moves in and out and around the body. Pitta, when it's at its best, is uh, working on digesting and transforming anything that's coming into the body. So it digests your food and transforms it into um, nourishment for your tissues. It digests experiences and transforms it into memory. And kapha, at its best, is organizing um, all the structure, lubrication, um, and protection of the body. So it's basically all the fluid in your body that keeps it moving smoothly, uh, like for because uh, to protect against all the movement, basically of vata. So every time we move or talk or you know think about all the fluid in our joints, the fluid in our lungs, um, the liquid in our mouth to help us swallow and speak and all of that. Mm -hmm. And so they each have their particular uh, kind of overall. Uh, duties of the body. So mm -hmm. again, vata, communication or movement, pitta, digestion, transformation, kapha, protection, lubrication, structure. So that's all great. Like we, that's, that's how we have all three. Those are all the things they do for us amongst many other duties, but those are kind of broad strokes. Mm -hmm. Generally what happens is 
we'll have some, well, something will happen usually with our lifestyle or our life. So it could be as simple as I ate too late too last night. Um, I drank too much coffee. I um, went like exercised harder than usual. I went on vacation. I went on a plane. I, um, or as extreme as I lost my job, I lost a, a loved one. I am going through a breakup, a big change in life. And And we end up with some sort of imbalance. So this is, I'm thinking about our listeners in post-middle age. And one of the things we talk a lot about is how many transitions there are. Oh my gosh, especially for women. Exactly. So I'm thinking about maybe your more typical um, guest at Kripalu or my more typical client or the, you know, people in the podcast. And this idea of my world is turning upside down. If I have kids, they're leaving. Uh, Now we have something called gray divorce. So people are really assessing their marriages, they may be moving to downsize. I mean, there's so many tumultuous. So I'm thinking about if they came to you and said, Aaron, you know, my life is upside down. How can I use Ayurveda to help? Yeah. Where, how do you start? Oh my gosh. So I too have had my life probably like your listeners turned upside down as a, you know, middle, middle aged, you know, in my forties, I've been at least through a divorce. So that's interesting to know. And thank God for Ayurveda because Mm. it, uh, one of the, so let's talk about, you're talking about tumultuous change, change in general, transitions. Those are all governed by what's called Vata Dosha. And for most of us in this society, what we're dealing with are vata imbalances. The hands down, it's the number one. And, and even in the classical texts, they say there's 80 vata disorders, 40 pitta disorders, 20 kapha disorders. So if you had to roll the dice and gamble on what one's going to be out of balance, likely it's going to be driven by vata. And so because vata governs all sorts of movements, transitions have a movement quality to them. They have an aspect of change and changeability. And so what Ayurveda would invite you to do is to do practices that balance the nervous system, which is also, that's all movement in and out of the nervous system and what we call vata balancing practices. And so for the number one, so the things that were helpful and are still helpful during big transitions are um, a practice called abhyanga or self-massage with oil. Uh, which you can get as a spa treatment at Kripalu or other, mm-hmm. you know, you'll, you're seeing a lot of like these Ayurvedic spa treatments kind of popping up. But essentially um, putting some warm either sesame oil or herbal oil or almond oil and mas- kind of giving yourself a spa treatment. So rubbing oil onto the body. And um, what they say classically is that this is a practice that balances the nervous system, protects all of the tissues, uh, bestows health, um, slackens the onslaught of aging. That's exactly what it says. It slackens the onslaught of aging. <laughs> I have not heard that. Oh, God, I that, love it. It's, the English translations are phenomenal. You know, it's basically the fountain of youth. You know? people, that's what that's what my people want to yes. hear. Yes. So oh, my I gosh. Got, I, I, so I've got my almond oil. Yeah. Or ses- do, sesame, sesame oil is like the number one. Not toasted because you will not, not like it. It's not that little tiny brown bottle of oil. It's, okay. you know, it's 
a light colored cold pressed sesame oil. Um, but I like herbal oils. Like I get like a Vata massage oil from Banyan Botanicals. I really like that or daily massage oil from Banyan Botanicals. And you just do a massage where you s massage yourself like you would be getting a massage. You lay out a towel, uh, warm up some oil and massage up and down your arms, your legs, your torso, and spend like 15 minutes or so doing it. Take a quick shower after just to get off any excess oil so you don't get it on your clothes. And it can help to really nourish, nourish the system. It becomes like a meditation. I find that, so let's say someone's going through a transition and maybe you've seen this in your work and you say like, hey, how about trying some meditation? But if someone's enormously anxious to sit down and be quiet like that, mm -hmm. it's excruciating. <laughs> it's terrible. Yeah. So by doing something like you're sitting and you're being quiet, you can put on some nice music and massage your body with oil. It's really an act of the oil, the, the Sanskrit word for oil is sneha, but it also means love. Mm. So the, the oil means oil. Sneha means oil, but it also means love. So you're putting back some nourishment into your body through self-care. Um, wow. if so the process is, I just, sorry, I just want to get really specific yeah, yeah. so my listeners can say, oh, I know what to do now. Right. You might start at your feet and do concentrate on your joints, yeah, your both. tendons. Yeah, So I would actually start at the head. I start on my head. Okay. So I just put a little oil in the scalp of my hair. You don't have to soak your hair down to the down to the tips, you know, but just put a little oil, massage the head. Mm -hmm. And then you can do the face or not. It depends if you want oil on your face, but I'll do a light oil and just really kind of massage all of like around the eye socket, the jaw, loosen my jaw. And then I would go into the neck and massage the side of my neck, go up and down, and then go down one arm and you do circles on the joints. So I would massage circles on the joints, oil into the joints, and then I would do long stroke between the shoulder and the elbow, nice circles around the elbow, between the elbow and the wrist, long strokes, and then do the hand. Go to the other side, same thing, circles on the joints. So you just make a circle motion and then massage up and down between the joints and then go back and do that. Circle all around the torso, get on the sides of the ribs, work around the lymphatic system, and then go down to the hips, circles on the hips, and then between the hip and the knee, just go up and down following the bones, you know, the same lines of the muscles and the bones, and then do the feet last. So then you're kind of taking any energy that's spinning around in your head and grounding it back down to the earth. Mm. Now, but that being said, if someone doesn't have a ton of time or they're not great sleepers, um, you can just massage the feet at night before bed can be enough, like, you know, spend five minutes massaging your feet at night. That can be really grounding because not everyone's going to take 20 mm. minutes to massage mm. oil into their body. And there's other things that you can do, but the, it's like, uh, like above, like for all Vata transition things, this is like the number, number one treatment. So you might do it once a week, a big just spa treatment. It doesn't have to be every day. And you might be like, like for me during that big transition, I was doing it every day. And mm -hmm. it was, it was, um, I can't just, it was so nourishing during a time that was challenging, you know, it was like, what can I do to, to stay nourished and balanced during a really um, tumultuous time? 
I and uh, and there's other there... things I did too. So if you ever want, if you want to keep going with that route, just so there's options for people too. But I'll, I, of course, I, ask you I questions. love the practical stuff. I just want to ask if there are any introductory books that could sort of uh, help people picture this. You know, yes. they might want to get out. Yeah, <laughs> yes. you so, were ready for that, right? One. So I'll give you a website that's okay. really helpful because for people who just don't want to buy a book, you know, not every. It's nice to have some free free resources. So there's a website called banyanbotanicals.com mm-hmm. and uh, they're good friends of mine. I like, you know, I'm, I've become good friends with a, a couple of the people who work there and they, they're, all their products are organic, USDA certified organic, um, sustainably sourced. Uh, they're a great company. They're out of New Mexico. Mm. Lovely, lovely people doing really good work. And so what's great about this website is they have all your Ayurvedic oils. So you Mm -hmm. can get oils. Um, You can also order little tiny samples so they can send you a few different kinds to see what you like the smell of, which is nice. Um, And then they have loads of resources information and they have a video how to do this self-massage. So they'll, they'll, they have a Beautiful. visual for people who are more visual. Um, so they're a great resource for sure. Like jump on their website. And they have all sorts of Ayurvedic products and herbs and oils. And uh, they're just a really great resource. So I'm um, big into them. So that's your free resource. Lovely. If someone wants to buy a book, because there are people who want to hold a book and do that. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate O'Donnell uh, wrote a a book called Everyday Ayurveda. Okay. And it's the first half of it is all about Ayurveda, some of the concepts that we're talking about today. The back has an appendix with um, how to do self-care practices. And then the middle is uh, Ayurvedic recipes. So you get a complete package. You get theory, information, like about half the books, like lots of information about Ayurveda, half the books full of recipes, and then um, appendices that give you instructions how to do some of the self-care practices. It's a phenomenal book and it's beautiful. Oh, that, that is, that helps, I think, is, is the beauty. Oh, the photography by Kara Brostrom's amazing in it. What, when you say Ayurveda is the middle path, which mm. you you know said in a, a communication we had, can you tell me what that means? Yeah, I had a really. I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna tell a story to get to the middle path because that's what I love about it. Is it's everything in moderation, including moderation. Mm-hmm. So I was having a conversation with a client that I um, have known now for about five years, and he was explaining to me which I didn't really understand. He said, because he's, he's, um, has a vegan diet. And he said, Aaron, this whole middle path thing is so hard. And I was like, why? It's so easy. You can have like a little bit of everything all the time. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Everything's part of the, everything's available. Like you can have, you know, you just have, a, you can have anything. Like it just, and you know, I was like, that's what I love about it. And he's like, no, like I be, for him being a vegan was like, it makes decisions really easy because there's a whole bunch of stuff around food that he never has to think about. He never has to make a decision about whether he eats meat, dairy, honey, ghee, anything. I was like, he's like, the middle path is actually harder. And I was like, and I didn't see it that way. And I'm sure other people don't either, but it was really helpful to understand kind of having a more uh, reductionist approach to how he was living made it just one less decision he has to make in life. And he has a very busy that travels internationally, corporate 
job. So I'd imagine having something simple in his life is helpful. So I was like, mm-hmm. that it was really enlightening to me to understand that because I have felt for myself having Ayurveda, which is very much a middle path, to be to me so easy. Like I'm like, oh, what season is it? Great. Mm-hmm. It's like apple season. I'm going to eat 100. Like right now it's blueberry season. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'm just going to eat a million blueberries. I love them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I won't eat them again until next year. Or, oh, yeah, I can have ice cream. I'm just going to have it in the middle of the day when I have all day to digest it. And I'm not going to have it every single day. It just made it that that what Ayurveda opened up for me is that everything is Ayurveda. Because the definition of Ayurveda, if we were to break it down, is the knowledge of life or the practice of living and practice of knowing yourself. And so it was like, oh, everything's, everything is here to be enjoyed. Everything is available. There's no good, bad, right or wrong. It's Mm -hmm. just maybe do it all just a little bit, like not too much so that you still feel good. So you can have a healthy, balanced life. Because once, and plus once I learned, like once I got beyond the food, because there's a whole lot to do with the food where it's just like, what do I eat and who am I and what foods can I have? And and then once I really just started to understand there's qualities of food, like in the summer it's hot, eat things that are cooling. In the winter it's cold and dry, eat things that are warm and oily. And then once I kind of just navigated that, then I could get to the deeper levels of like, how do I just become a, keep becoming a better human being? Like, how do I use Ayurveda so I can just have better relationships, so I can um, communicate better, so I can um, get deeper into my meditation practice and yoga practice and um, and not kind of sweat the small stuff about, like, what am I eating or not eating? And I was one of those person, people that went to the gym, worked out two hours a day, measured my meals, weighed my food had like 1,400 calories a day and like it was maddening. And then once it was like, just eat three meals a day and you'll be fine. And it was like life-changing, completely just and relaxing. I just relaxed Mm. about it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Um, Tell me about cooking your water. (laughs) (laughs) I know I gave you that. I was like, let's talk about cooked water. (laughs) So anyone who says that they can't cook, they can. I will teach you how to cook water. I mean, it's hilarious, right? It's like cooked water. So it's called ushnautica. It means hot, hot water. And um, and I think pragmatically, thousands of years ago, it was probably a good idea to boil your water before there was sanitation, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah. taking it out of the Ganges. You yeah, might want to eat might it up. you want to boil that. I don't even know if I would drink that after boiling. But hey, I'm just, you know, I've, I've been in it. I don't know. I don't know. So, um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, pragmatically, you know, thousands of years ago, it was probably about safety. But what it does do, so water, every substance in the planet has a quality, right? So, for instance, a sweet potato is heavy and dense. Lettuce is light and dry. Right? We can agree on that, that the, those would be the, the qualities of it. So water is heavy. Water is cold. Those are its inherent qualities that if left untouched, they don't change. For some people, it's uh, to drink water, depending on your kind of 
digestion, you know, state of digestion, water can even be difficult to digest for some people. It just feels, they drink a lot of water and they feel heavy. You know, my partner's like that. He's like, I don't like to drink too much water. It just makes me feel heavy. Mm. I was like, that's interesting. And so um, when we cook the water, meaning like I just have a pot of water, it's on my stove right now and I drink out of it all day. So I have a pot of water um, in the morning while I'm getting ready, I just fill it up and I use filtered water out of my tap. I just have one of those pure water filters. Mm -hmm. So I um, heat up a pot of water, I bring it to a boil. I let it boil for a couple minutes um turn it down let it cool i'll make some tea with it and then the rest i'll i'll either bring with me let it cool so i can bring it pour it in a mason jar and so i'll bring it to to work with me or if i'm home i just drink out of the pot all day and what the cooking does is it and it's you have to cook it for like a couple minutes just you know you don't have to cook it for 20 minutes mm -hmm. like just bring it to a boil for a couple of minutes mm -hmm. what it does is it takes the water and changes the properties from cold and heavy to warming and lighter. So it makes it firstly easy, easier to digest. Um, it makes it so it's more hydrating. And it also um, opens the channels of the body and helps to keep us, it helps to naturally, I hate to use this word, and maybe you have a better one, but naturally kind of detoxify or keep our body uh, naturally cleansing all on its own mm -hmm. because what I our bodies are natural detoxifiers mm -hmm. we don't actually need to give it a ton of help but there's a lot of things that we do that make it our bodies work harder to detoxify like I don't know whatever roundup you know oh, <laughs> or yeah. Doritos or you know or sorry Doritos for yeah. nacho cheese chips if we have to call mm -hmm. it that but having cooked water helps to open the channels and helps to promote our body's natural processes of eliminating um uh any sort of you know imbalances from diet or lifestyle or even airborne things that we can't see so so let me see if i understand erin you're saying that it's not necessarily the temperature right but it's the property of having been boiled and then you drink it after that process yeah, yeah. so see. i always drink it hot first thing in the morning like i have a i'll have a cup of hot water in the morning just to re, you know, rehydrate. It's a habit, a practice of just kind of rehydrating from the night, opening the channels. It um, uh, promotes uh, digestion and elimination. Mm -hmm. And then throughout the day, I just drink it, depending on the season. In the wintertime, I'll drink it warmer. I'll put it in maybe an insulated thermos and drink it uh, warmer throughout the day. But in the summer, I don't like I don't want to drink hot water, but I don't drink cold water. So I just let it go to room temperature and I, I sip off of it all day. Um, what we don't want to do is put ice in it. So I would encourage um, you to put ice in it because then it kind of goes back to being really cold and mm -hmm. heavy and hard to digest. But room temperature is totally fine to, to have it in that way. So it'll start out hotter during the day and then go to room temperature uh, or start out hotter first thing in the morning, excuse me, and then um, go to room temperature throughout the day. And like I said, in the winter, I'll put it in an insulated thermos and I'll tend to drink it hotter in the winter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have heard of that before. And I think it was loosely related to the Ayurveda, but yeah. the whole idea of having your water be more body temperature than yeah. shocking, you know. Right. And that's maybe why you get an ice cream headache because your body <laughs> is saying too cold, too right. cold. Right. Your body's like, what, 98.6 degrees, yeah. you know, and then you put this, you know, 40 degree substance <laughs> in it. And I don't know. I mean, I've heard people say, 
Um, and I don't know if there's any truth to it. Like, well, it helps metabolism because you have to work harder to heat it up. And wow. I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, I don't know. I think it's just becomes a habit or sensory. It feels like we get used to having uh, something that's cold. And obviously in the summer, if you have some iced beverage here and there, it's not a big deal. But mm. all year round, maybe not, especially if you live in a winter environment, to have ice cold water and uh, January in New England is, you know, not necessarily going to be supportive to <laughs> go in the wrong direction. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, for sure. So we we talked about some of the things that you are particularly interested in, and um, and I'm I'm just thinking about what our listeners would probably like to hear more about. And one of the things we know, and I'm sure you know this uh, in your own realm here, is how important socializing is. Mm -hmm. And in fact, yeah, the newest research is saying that it's more important actually than diet and exercise. Ah, and that, community. Yeah, yeah, community. And one of the things that you mentioned is keeping good company. <laughs> yeah. How does that relate? Yeah. So... Uh, one of my favorite teachers and our, uh, they're all my favorite teachers, excuse me. I love them mm -hmm. all. Uh, but one of my, one of our dear teachers, um, Dr. Claudia Welch, uh, her teacher's teacher, uh, says keep good company. Good company keeps a, they say man, but we'll say person, you know, keeps mm -hmm. a person great. So, uh, it's been this, this saying that we have uh, in the school, we, we say it regularly, and uh, it's profound for, was profound for me as a student of keeping good company. Um, and, and I also talked to my, my stepkids about this, my partner's kids about this, of like, you're only as good as the company that you keep, you know? And mm -hmm. so the way that I see it um, and the way that Ayurveda talks about it is it's this... Um, promotion of this concept called um, sattva, which is a calm, clear, inspired, creative state of being, state of mind. Mm. And that when we keep good company, it promotes um, positive mental health. Mm -hmm. It promotes um, positive digestion and it promotes um, well-being. Mm -hmm. And so it, there's things in the classical texts of Ayurveda that say don't eat when you're upset or eat while you're arguing or eat when you're angry, you know, and I think about like, you know, working at Kripalu, I get to eat in a, for those of you who've been there and you've mm. been there, you know, we have a dining hall and um, I choose, I don't have work meetings. I want to be sure I'm around people who are positive and uplifting. Not that my work meetings aren't, but like it's a time to be social and, um, and feel positive about life and I feel really blessed to be a part of this Ayurveda community that the people who are in it are like they're they're doing really good work in the world and they're interested mm -hmm. in promoting not only um, individual health but um, how this impacts our community health and um, mm -hmm. having friends that are supportive having friends who are kind and I like them when they're funny is also I like to <laughs> laugh with them is it's um, it's made an enormous impact in my own personal life, and we have in this school, the school that I that I teach in and that I'm the dean of, the friendships that happen here are their lifelong friendships. Mm -hmm. I, I've seen I, some, my best friends have come out of this school, 
and I see it every year that and I watch them I follow them like on social media or graduates and they're they hang out for years they still get together they travel together they cook together they go study together and they're some of the dearest friends that we have in our life you know, it's funny because as you're talking and I'm thinking about keeping good company, one of the absolute joys of doing this podcast is meeting people all over the world, like yourself, who are who are inquisitive, who are smart, who are working for the greater good, who are exploring, who are, you know, doesn't necessarily mean we have it all figured out. Not in close. <laughs> <laughs> but this idea of like, how, you know, how does my work impact the, those around me? Mm. And I have to say, it has been so enriching to speak to so many people who are, you know, those are the qualities. It's really been absolutely nurturing. And I'm just thinking about it on the one-to-one as you're talking about it, but also just in this broader way of, hey, I'm part of this community that, you know, I'm proud of. Yeah, for sure. And it's made me like a better, I mean, I had to go through a lot of challenges to get here, but I feel like I'm a better daughter I'm a better friend, I'm a better partner, I'm a better sister and auntie. Like, I just, I, you know, and it's, I'm a work in progress. I'm, believe me, I'm far from finished, but I just think about how this, these practices of yoga and Ayurveda have impacted relationships that were long established prior to knowing. I didn't grow up and like, my parents and I weren't, you know, I didn't grow up in India and like, there's a Mm. girl from New England, like, growing up in a very regular American household, but how the, this, it's been such a gift. It's like, it turned, tossed my whole life upside down. That was really challenging, but rebuilt it in a way that I, I'm so grateful for. Like, I just am not even the same. How did you stumble across it as a, as a girl from, as you call yourself (laughs) a white blonde girl? It's so true. Like, Uh, how did you how did you come upon it? Well, um, so I started doing I started doing yoga in about thirteen years ago regularly, and um, I walked into my yoga studio and there was my yoga teacher who still is and uh, she's phenomenal. Her name is Leanne Trigler and she's in um, Whitman wellness center in Massachusetts. And she's uh, old enough to be my mom. So I feel really lucky to have somebody that's older than I am and has lived through more life than I am. I think that's important. That to me is important. And I walked in and here's this beautiful radiating woman, like smart. You just walk right into the studio. It was a very small studio at the time. And it was like, Oh my, she's like, welcome. You know, she's like, welcome. I was like, and I, it wasn't just the words. It was like, I found home. It was immediate. Like, oh my God, I found the place that I've been looking for for so long. And so I started practicing with her and we did some Ayurveda there. She'd bring this woman in from Canada and I didn't really know what was going on. I like ate kitchery one day and we had a day of silence and I don't even remember hearing the word Ayurveda. They might have said it, but it did not register. And I got like a Shiradhara and I was like, which is like oil on the head. And so that kind of happened. And then that, but but that didn't draw me in. And then when I was in my yoga teacher training, 
um, we had to get an Ayurvedic consultation as part of our training. And they, the teacher taught some Ayurveda, but then we had to see somebody. So I started seeing somebody one-on-one -on -one and had some, did a lot. I did like a panchakarma and did these really deep cleansing practices and had enormous experiences in them so much so that it was like I have to know more about what was mm. happening and how mm -hmm. this happened and really why why you. am I why am I why am I feeling that um a sense of self of soul that I've never felt before this understanding this connection with universe or god or however you want to say it but I, it was so much that I had to know more about it and um the person that I was seeing uh, said, well, go to, Kirp go to Kripalu. I'm like, I've been there before. And, uh, he was like, well, they have a school. I was like, great. And that, that was it. I went to the school, you know, maybe a few months later, applied, went to the school. And, uh, I was like, I love it here. Another home. <laughs> I was like, I found another home. I was like, I, I was like, I remember talking to my mom and being like, I love it here. I'm never leaving. <laughs> and then I never left. <laughs> so I've been here you know I just was like I I just couldn't I never left I fell in love with the school and I've been working for the school since 2011 there is a glow a Kripalu glow and I think the challenge is and I know people talk about this is how do you keep that when you go home to your or life you just yeah. never leave <laughs> yeah that's the solution <laughs> i have had people who you know i've said you've got to go they and they volunteered and they've become mm. part of the community and yeah yeah, yeah it's hard and our like, you know our students go through that because they come six times throughout the year nicole so they'll come for nine days at a time so they come for nine days they go home for a month they come for nine days they go home you know and uh and i did it too i mean i was a student as well and it was a little difficult it would be challenging because you go to Kripalu and you have these really people who are studying the same thing you're interested in and we're cooking you beautiful food mm -hmm. and um we're you know talking about things and concepts and philosophies and lifestyles that are that are kind of against or different not against but you might not go home and have a lot of people to talk to about this so it can be a little bit challenging um but the but what would be more of a shame is if you didn't go home and bring these things back with you like my hope is that you know our students who go through the program or if, even if you do a weekend program with me or five days and i still keep in touch with guests i have people who text me they're like oh my god i'm on vacation and i'm so happy because i can do all my ayurvedic practices you know and so it's it's the the gift is to bring it home it's not to just leave it at kripalu i joke like i i came here but it's only so so i can um be just a a conduit for other people to learn this and then bring it home and share it with your families and share it with your communities and i mean that's the best so thing sense. that you can do yeah. is bring it home mm -hmm. yeah it makes so much sense are there any other thoughts or words you'd like to share before we end um anything come to mind that we haven't covered that you think is important for our listeners to hear yeah like you know i think with anything again kind of coming back to you know, Ayurveda can seem a little daunting or there's all these rules or there's all these things that you have to do. And um, really at the, the core of it is about understanding the truth of your own nature and that it changes, you know. So as we get older, like 
who I am at 50 is probably very different than who I was at 25 or 30 mm-hmm. or who I am now at 41 is different than I, what I was doing 10 years ago. It's, um, and being able, what Ayurveda gives us as a gift is being able to respond to those changes and that it's not about a dogmatic set of rules or some esoteric unattainable lifestyle, but it's really about um, finding our true nature, honoring that, and um, living a life that's full of as much joy as we can. The the Ayurvedic definition of health is somebody who has balanced digestion, balanced doshas, which we talked about, um, uh, balanced tissues, and someone whose mind, body, and senses is full of bliss. That's mm. how they described health. It's called swasta, being situated in your own self that that you're like, you know what, my life is, my life is good, even with its challenges, like we're eternal and changeless. And like, we're even with its challenges, like, I'm okay. And knowing that. Mm-hmm. Wow, that sounds, I think that's a beautiful message for, you know, those of us who are really uh, feeling a bit topsy-turvy and looking at our identities and saying boy I my whole life was about being a mom well that's over and that's (laughs) a phase and that's a phase of life like your pitta phase of life and then you get to the vata stage of life which is the later so all those doshas we'll kind of get back to real quickly but we have three different stages of our life that are governed by the doshas so the kids are in the kapha time of life the midlife where we're raising the kids or even if you don't raise kids, because I'm not going to assume I don't have, you know, not Mm -hmm. everyone has kids, but working life, you know, you're very, the middle years of your life where you're super active and acquiring wealth or working. And then when they leave, you're in this other stage of life. And it's, it's not, it's the time of life where um, we will be pursuing exactly what you're doing on your podcast. So more like, what are we pursuing to maintain health and spiritual wellness and community? And um, it's, but it, it's kind of, it's a, it can be jarring. It's a big change. I'm watching my mm-hmm. partner, his son's going to college next week. Like mm-hmm. one of his, for the, you know, it's like watching that change. It's a real, we're just looking at our life. Like both the kids will be gone in two years to college. Mm-hmm. And what's our life look like for mm-hmm. there? And having mm-hmm. these conversations about how things change. It's a big deal. It is a big deal. Yeah. yeah. This was so interesting, Erin. I I learned a lot and I think our listeners will really appreciate that it's not all Sanskrit no. and, you know, <laughs> difficult spices to pronounce. And it sounds so sensible and sort of organic and and, you know, our relation to ourselves and, and the earth. And I people people are really searching yeah. for that. So I really appreciate that. Where can people find you to learn more about your retreats and your work? Yeah, so I don't, my, my, the best place is kripalu.org. So go onto the website. I don't have my own website, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you go to uh, kripalu.org and look under Mm -hmm. presenters, you can find me there. It's Mm -hmm. Erin Kasperson. Um, And also, uh, if you're interested in learning, really diving into immersion, or you're like, hey, I think I want to teach people about this, uh, you can also check out the Kripalu School of Ayurveda, where we do professional trainings as well. So um, I run programs several times throughout the year, both just retreats for anybody to come to and learn more, as well as the the school. Mm -hmm. That's, That's great to know. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure and an education. And I am going to 
look at this book that you recommended, oh, the so Everyday good. Ayurveda. Yeah, it's it's, so it's fascinating to me. Yeah. Well, yeah. thanks, Nicole, for having me. Yeah. This was so fun. Good. Thank you. And I will spread the word. And um, I appreciate all the good work you're doing. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. And please consider becoming a patron of the show. You will get access to exclusive bonuses and you will be part of the Zestful Aging community. Keep us going strong. Go to patreon.com slash zestful aging. See you next time for another episode of Zestful Aging.